put in place. Okay? And that, and that there was a system in place by which we could measure our closeness to God. That was the law. That was the words that the prophets communicated. And when we looked at ourselves in relation to the law, though we could see who God really was, there was no answer for our guilt. There was no answer for our wickedness. And it wasn't until Jesus Christ was there a manifestation of righteousness. It wasn't until Jesus Christ came into the world that there was actually an answer for who God was. Do you understand? So the one thing provided with us, provided for us a revelation, it did not provide an answer. Only Jesus Christ could provide the answer for the guilt and the sin that we face. And so the law bore witness to the, righteous, uh, to the righteousness, though it could not provide righteousness. And our righteousness uh, required an intercessor. And that's our first key point. Our righteousness required an intercessor and Emmanuel. It required Jesus Christ. It required God intervening physically, sending his son into this world to step into the gap. Now, that should cut us right now, that thought. And I think that we've grown uh, accustomed to hearing this. And so uh, today, what I'm hoping to do is to talk about what Paul wrote here in a way that magnifies uh, the power that these words really hold. You understand? Paul here is writing, not just, not just writing, he's writing a deposition. He is treating this like an opportunity to provide for us an answer for our crime. There has been a crime committed. And Paul is providing a legal deposition explaining just how the accused have been acquitted of their crimes. He's saying, look, 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 I know that you're guilty. The evidence is stacked. I know that you've been stained. I know that you carry wickedness. But someone has intervened, and we have an answer. And he's providing for us a logical and clear argument for how we can come to a place where we are set free from the guilt. And this passage, listen to me. There's two types of people in this room this morning. This is how God sees it. There's two types of people. There's the Christian who knows this story, who's familiar with this, and needs reminding. Why? Because your primary goal in life is to communicate this very truth to the rest of the world. Do you understand? So don't look at this lightly. and Don't look at it, as it, pass- at it passively as though this is something that you just get. If you really got this, your mouth would never be shut. The other type of person that's in this room today is someone who recognizes in their heart of hearts that they also carry that stain, that they carry that wickedness, and yet they have not found a solution for it yet. And for many of us in our minds, we're still in that place of the law where we see the expectations and we have the morality written on our heart and we've done everything we can to be a good person, yet it brings no satisfaction. And and we have not found yet the answer And what I'm telling you this morning is that Jesus Christ is the answer. He is the answer. He is the way. 
And there's no other God that's been devised in this world, and there is no other religious system, and there is no other religious uh, scripture that provides for us an answer for sin. They all provide the same thing. It, it, their answer is all the same. It doesn't matter if you're Mormon, if you're Catholic, if you're Buddhist. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. All religions of the world provide the same answer. Well, here's these rules. Follow them the best you can. And when it's all said and done, we hope it works out for you. And you're just that same person that we read about in verses 9 through 21. You still stand there guilty. And you stand there ashamed. And you stand there unsure. And what Paul's giving us is information pertaining to the fact that we can know beyond a shadow of a doubt that we've been washed clean of that stain. We can know. And we can know because of the specificity of the words that we're about to read. Let's start in verse 23. It first begins with, For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And that's what we've been looking at. And the whole of Scripture supports that. If we look at Romans 6.23, or we look at Romans 5.12, or we look at 1 John 1.8, we can see over and over again in Scripture that we do stand guilty. And if we don't first recognize that, then there's no hope for us. Because if you don't have something to repent from, then there is nothing to repent to. If there isn't something to turn away from, then there is nothing to turn towards. Do you understand? We have to first recognize that there is something to turn away from, and that is our sin. And this is where the legal argument comes into place. You are guilty. You, have been, you stand accused. And there's not a person in this room that could even make an argument against that. We wouldn't have to go back too far into last week to find out that you've done something corrupt or vile or thought an evil thought, right? We, we won't do that. We won't embarrass you in that way. But none of us could do that. We all stand guilty before God. But this is where it gets good. So look at, let's look at verse 24. Being justified freely by His grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. And what we're going to do is we're going to break the words down. Words that we maybe are familiar with, maybe words that we're not so familiar with. And we're going to, we're going to take a magnifying glass and we're going to look closely at these words. And we're going to see just what they mean to the salvation message. Okay? And our first word this morning is justification. If we know Jesus Christ, we are justified by His grace. And justified means declared or made righteous in the sight of God. The word justified is, in, in this case, is in the present continuous tense. And that's important because what that means is that, that justification is something that stands for us continuously now and into the future. That word isn't just, wasn't just present at the moment that we accepted Jesus Christ. It's something that's present with us as we continue to walk through our lives. We weren't justified just in that moment. We're justified continually in the sight of God. Amen. It's a very important word to understand. If you come into relationship with Jesus Christ, you aren't just justified from your past. You are justified moving forward. And we don't want, listen to me, we don't want just forgiveness. And I'm not saying that blasphemously. I want forgiveness. But I don't want just forgiveness. I don't want to just know that my sins from the past have been forgiven. I don't want to, to know that the debt that was in my account 
has been forgiven. I don't want to know just that. I want to be justified continuously because that's what grace is. Grace extends into my future. Salvation says I'm not just free from my past and the bondage of my past. I'm free as I make mistakes today and tomorrow and from henceforth. Justification is more than just forgiveness. We are seen, if we're, in, if we're justified before God, we are seen in a righteous standing to Him uh, perpetually. And this is the thing that's beautiful about it, is it makes us able to participate in His divine plan. It makes us able to participate in His divine plan. If we were just forgiven, if we just stood in a place of mercy, then where is the power to move forward? See, the mission itself requires justification because what it requires is for us to be participants by grace in a divine plan. God didn't just set us free. He made us heirs to the throne. He made us participants in this thing called Christianity. And so your salvation can't be some sort of stagnant moment that happened for you when you were 12. It can't be just this monument or this memory of the time that God punched your ticket to heaven. Justification says that when God looks at you, he sees Jesus Christ and his expectation for you moving forward is that you would live in the truth of your inheritance. Justification, that word is important. And the word that follows is also just as important, that you're justified freely. Being justified freely by his grace through the, the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Now here's the thing. When we think about free nowadays, we often think cheap. Don't we? When we think about things that are free, we often equate those things with cheapness. There's lots of things that are free nowadays. Like, you know, Spotify is free unless you upgrade to the premium package, <laughs> which I don't because, well, I'm a tightwad. And my students hate it because commercials come on every, like, seven songs. There'll be a commercial. Does that bother you? It's worth it, Brett. We should just I could use your account. Well, that, that'd be stealing, and then we'd be back in the guilty place. We want to be careful. Sure. <laughs> okay, so, but listen. <clears throat> we think about free, and we think, yeah, so what? Nowadays, it's common for us to associate cheapness with free. We don't respect free because, you know, we're entitled brats, actually. It's amazing the things that we as Americans just take for granted in terms of free. But like if you go, like when I was in India a year ago, <laughs> we, I, had, I had went to the, uh, this is literally what I did. I went to the dollar store before I left and I bought bags of uh, little like cheap trinkets. And when we went to India and we went preaching in the slums, and you get that bag of trinkets out, like stuff that we would just consider to be waste. They want it desperately. Do you know why? Because they don't take free for granted. But in our society, when we think about free, we think, ah, no big deal. People give things away all the time. And it has a cheapness. But listen to me. God's free gift 
is unique. Because no other gift has been so great and yet so free at the same time. Guys, I'm going to get real emo today. I just apologize for that in advance. Studying this passage, I think was really hard on me. And I'm only just now realizing it. Because what God gave up is way more than what we give him credit for. And when I look at the story, there's parts of the gospel narrative that I don't I think I neglect sometimes, I'm amazed by, but it's intellectual. Like like how when Jesus was on the cross and the day became his night because God's face couldn't even look on his own son. You understand that? That in that moment, because Jesus Christ, the Son of God, bore our wickedness and our stains, that his own Father, who loved him more than all of his creation, couldn't even set his eyes on him. We don't value it. It's such a great and mighty and precious gift that we have in Jesus Christ. And it's free. I mean, imagine on Christmas Day, my kids, three and five, coming down the steps and seeing all the gifts underneath the tree with their names on them. And before they're allowed to take of the gifts, I'm like, okay, guys, it's time to do chores and I'll tell you when you're done. When you're done, you can have your gift. Can you imagine? What kind of dad would I be? Like the worst dad on earth. Like just setting my kids up to hate me forever, right? (laughs) But yet, somehow, in our twisted mind, we've convinced ourselves that there's no way the gift of salvation could be so free. There's got to be something that I have to do. And almost every false religion in the world is based on that idea right there, that moment, twisted. It couldn't be free. There's no way. But it is. See, God sees the soul with such great regard. The human soul. He sees life with such great regard that it's too, it's too precious for it to be sold or traded or bartered for. See, it's so precious that life is so precious that the life of his son is so precious and that the life of a human being is so precious. It's not something that can be bartered or traded over. It's not some sort of like situation where we're dealing with God. It has to be free, you understand? It's the only way for it to be pure. There's a story that I read in one of, uh, in, in John Phillips' commentary. And it goes like this. There was a woman, a widow, who had a daughter who was dying. And they were very poor. And th- th- her daughter was very sick. And uh, they were told that what they needed was like fresh fruit would really help with the illness, right? And so the woman uh, who had very little money went out looking for, for, for fruit in the marketplace. And there, was, there wasn't any. And everywhere she went, she couldn't find any. Uh, and, and what was there was rotten and overpriced. She couldn't afford it. And she came walking by, by the palace gates. And inside, she saw the princess. And the princess was standing there amongst the garden of fruit trees. 
with vines of grapes. And the princess came over to fence and no, seeing that the woman was in need, and the, and, and the woman was like, you, you have fruit, I can't find fruit anywhere. And the princess goes and she pulls from the grapevines and she brings it to the woman and she gives it to her. And the woman says, what? What do I owe you, right? And she pulls out the little bit of money in her hand and she, she tries to give it to the princess. And the princess' response was, this fruit is not for sale. You see, my father is the king and is much too rich to sell anything. And besides, you're much too poor to buy it. You see, there's nothing that you can offer Jesus Christ that will match the value of what he owns. He made everything. What are you going to give him? Your best efforts? You literally have nothing to offer him. Don't cheapen what he's done. It's a gift. Being justified freely by his grace. Grace is the next word that we need to look at carefully. And some of us, we think about grace very passively because it's a word that we look at quite a bit. Justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. By his grace. Grace means unmerited favor. And this is super important. Grace is super important because when all we did was deserve eternal separation, eternal damnation, when all we did really was just earn punishment, he was merciful enough to stand in the gap and keep us from that, but he was gracious enough to justify us and redeem us. This word grace never grows tired because we are always in need of Christ's love. A love that we don't deserve. His blessing for which we don't deserve at all. We, we need His protection. We need Him to, to take care of us. We need for Him to empower us. We need for Him to give us peace and give us patience. And everything that He has to offer us, He's got it on the table. That is grace. That is grace, unmerited favor, a favor that says, no, I'm not going to just forgive you, but I'm going to bring you along with me. That is grace. And it's not just grace, it's grace for redemption. It says, by His grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. See, it's by His grace that we are redeemed. And here's the deal, grace through redemption is far greater than just being purchased from slavery. Right? You can imagine... Uh, someone uh, on, a, on a slave trading block, right? When I was in, it's weird. When I was in Charleston last year, I went to what was the, lar- like, I think it was the largest slave trading post in, besides maybe New Orleans in all of the world at the time, right? Super weird. You know what it is now? It's a fresh fruit market. It's like an open-air market. And you go in there. We went at night. It's weird. It's weird. It's like Charleston's just trying to forget. And it's weird. It'd be even beyond that, there's, there's old churches that are everywhere around, like butted right up against this slave trading block. How blind are people? How religious can you be and not see wickedness? You know? It's weird. 300-year-old churches standing right next like, to this place. Where was I going with this? 
Sorry, that was. So I'm there, and and you can imagine all the things that are probably going on. Like you can almost picture, like, old white men buying people. You know what I mean? And 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 here's the thing. I, I think to myself about this passage, and I think about grace for redemption, and 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 it's not good enough for Jesus just to buy us out of slavery. He bought us, he purchased us to set us free. You get that? He didn't just redeem us from one place to another. He he delivered us, he liberated us. He purchased us from slavery to this world and set us free to live and to be exactly who he made us to be from the foundation of the world. This is what unmerited favor is. We did not deserve it. We deserved to be slaves. We deserved punishment. And yet, here is God standing in the gap. He is also a propitiation. Verse 25. Whom God has set forth to be a propitiation through faith in his blood. To declare his righteousness for the remission of sins that are passed through the forbearance of God. Propitiation is a word that means to appease. Okay, that's what it means. But in Scripture, it takes on a much greater definition. It's more multifaceted than that. In Scripture, propitiation means satisfying God's holy law so that those under it can receive a full pardon. See, Jesus was our propitiation. He was the one who intervened. Not just to appease a holy and righteous God. Okay, and I thought about it this way. It's like Jesus could have just stood in the gap to obstruct the view of God. You know what I mean? It's like God is looking down at you, and he's thinking, sinner. And it wasn't good enough for God to just step in the way and obstruct God's view. Propitiation means that through Jesus Christ, I can see you rightly, and I see you as washed clean, and I see you as holy as my very son. Do you understand that? That is what propitiation in the word of God means. He didn't just appease God. He didn't just cause God to forget about all the law and the holiness that he expects for us. When God looks out, he sees you through the lens of Jesus Christ. JP and I talked about that just the other day. I drew a nice little illustration on the board, didn't I? He sees us through Christ's lens. And you know, to be a propitiation is an amazing thing. I listened to a radio story yesterday before I went to the gym. I sat, you ever listen to a story like on NPR or something and you sit in the car and you listen to it until the end of the story? So I'm sitting in the parking lot at, at the gym and I know it's liberal radio. Okay, chill. <laughs> yeah. I feel your judgment. I said NPR. And you're like, but they're talking about this story. Um, it's about people that sacrifice their lives and their well-being for someone else. And there's no explanation for it. So like people, people that put themselves in harm's way and could have died and, and, and have everything to lose, children, family, in order to save someone that was like maybe about to be hit by a car. And in one case, there was a guy who, um, who was at the train station with his six-year-old and four-year-old. And there was a man that had a seizure and fell onto the train tracks of the subway train. And the man jumped into the tracks and... Tried to get the, the guy weighed more than him. He couldn't get the guy out. 
And the train is coming and it's coming and it's coming. And you know what? The guy was so determined to save this other guy's life that as the train approached, he laid the man down and pressed his body down. He laid his body on he laid his body down on top of this guy to flatten him out as close as, as much as he could and waited as the train passed over them and brushed, he could feel it brushing his legs. What? Who does that? And you know, the funny thing about the story was the conclusion that these researchers had done, that they came to, was that there is no explanation for why people do this. They were looking for, why do people do things like this? Well, you know what? It's, innate, it's an innate quality. Why was it that that guy did that and all these other people stood on the side and watched? Why? What made that guy unique? The conclusion was that it was in his very nature. He was predisposed to sacrifice himself in this way. You know who else was that way? Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ was predisposed from the very beginning to be a propitiation for you. John chapter 5 verse 30 says, from the very beginning it was in my nature to do just what my father tells me. His will is my will. And what he wants I will do. And it doesn't matter what needs to be sacrificed along the way. And he laid his life down, a propitiation for our sins. Well, how does that work? So so Jesus did all this for me. So what does that mean? What does that mean for me? So check it out. Whom God has set forth to be a propitiation through faith in his blood. Faith is our next word. We use the word faith and belief a lot. Faith is only, listen to me. We, throw, like, we like to think that believing for the sake of believing is just good. Doesn't the world just think that? Well, if you believe in something, that's good. That's good. Just believe in something. That's, that's all that matters is that you have faith. But faith is only as good as, as the object of faith. It's only as good as what you faith, set your faith in. Faith, people have faith in the wrong things all the time. And they watch their faith in people and objects and materialism and entertainment fail right before their very eyes and they're still blind. Faith is only as good as what you put your faith into. Many people uh, even say that they trust in God. But that's not good enough. Trust in God is not good enough. That's what this passage says. And I'm not being like a heretic right now. Faith in God is not good enough. Faith in His blood, in the redemptive power of His blood, that His very blood can set you free, that is what's good enough. It's faith in His blood. So what what is Christianity's obsession with blood? Right? Because it's freaking weird. It's weird. Right? We sing a song about blood washing away our sins. We just sang that song. Right? What is our obsession with blood? Well, it begins with sacrifice. If you look at Scripture, it begins with sacrifice. And we can look back in history and see that God has always cherished the power of blood. 
Because he made blood in such a way that it sustains life. See, it's not just a symbol of life. It's not some sort of grand symbol, blood. No, quite literally, if you take your blood out of your body, you die, right? Like, it's not just some beautiful symbol. Oh, the blood. No, listen to me. Blood is life. Blood is life. And we can look back at the Passover and see that God has cherished the power of blood for a very long time. And some of you are familiar with this story, right? The nation of Israel is captive in Egypt. And um, there's plagues that are coming upon the Egyptian people because God wants to set the Israelites free. Are you catching this? He wants to set them free. And so what God does is he devises a plan and he tells Moses, he says, look, Moses, get all of the nation of Israel to sacrifice and place the blood around the doorway. Okay? To put it on the post of the doorway, over the header and around the post. You know what I thought was really interesting as I read? You know what? Notice how God didn't t- tell them to put the blood in the door, in, on the floor, in the threshold. Like you'd think a complete portal of blood would be like, Right? It's like, it's like this, right? It's a doorway, and there's, there's a threshold there. And God doesn't tell them, put blood in the doorway. Don't put, don't put blood on the ground. Why? Because it's not to be stepped on. See, it's, it's too important to be stepped on. I cherish it too greatly. I cherish the blood so greatly that it isn't to be defamed. God loves blood. If you look again at the Jewish temple and you look at the Jewish Day of Atonement in Leviticus chapter 16, what would happen in, a, in the Jewish uh, atonement sacrifice is someone would bring two goats to the temple. Okay? And, and one of those goats would be slaughtered and the blood would be sprinkled on the mercy seat. And if you know anything about the temple, the mercy seat is the thing that, that, that housed the tablets of the law. And so the blood was literally cast over the law. Isn't that awesome? Look at the picture there. It's the idea is this, is that Jesus Christ was the only way to overcome the law. That it requires blood to set us free from the expectations of the law. It it takes the blood of Jesus Christ to set us free from a works-based view of who God is. And then what happened with the other goat? Does anybody know? They took the goat out into the wilderness and set it free. Which is a picture of the freedom that we receive because the other goat was sacrificed. One is set free and one is sacrificed. See, you understand that blood is super important to Jesus, or to God. And we're obsessed with blood because he declares to us the power of blood to give us eternal life. Eternal blood for eternal life. That's what it took. It took the eternal blood of God himself to die for us, to have eternal life. John 6, 53 says, Then Jesus said unto them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, except you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink His blood. Okay, This is the Lord's Supper, right? This is the time where He was saying with His disciples, look, I'm going to have to die and I'm going to have to bleed out for you to be set free. And He's showing them this picture through the use of blood and wine. And He says, unless you eat of this flesh of the Son of Man and drink His blood, you have no, have no life in you. You have no life in you. His suffering was our victory. 
How do you not love the one who endured hell and suffering to save your very life? How do you not love that man? Isaiah 55, uh, 50 verse 5 says, The Lord God hath opened mine ear. This is, this is a prophecy of Jesus Christ. So just imagine for a moment Jesus saying this. The Lord God hath opened mine ear, and I was not rebellious, neither turned away. I gave my back to the smiters. He gave it to them to be beaten. And I gave my cheeks to them that plucked off the hair. I hid not my face from the shame and spitting. They spit on the Son of God. And he looked them in their very faces and took it with joy. You can't get that. You can't understand that, but he did it. Isaiah 53, 5 says, But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him. And with his stripes we are healed. With his stripes we are healed. With his blood poured out we are healed. Colossians 1.14 says, In whom we have redemption through his blood, even the forgiveness of sins. And that is why we sing, because Jesus paid it all. All to him I owe. Sin has left a crimson stain. He has washed it white as snow. That's why we sing that. Verse 25, Whom God has set forth to be a propitiation through faith in his blood, to declare, to declare his righteousness for the remission of sins that are passed through the forbearance of God. The price of forgiveness was, was not cheap. It was not cheap. It cost God everything. The price was the, was the very Son of God. To declare, I say, that at this time, His righteousness, that He might be just and the justifier of Him that believeth in Jesus. See, to the one who is, who is just, uh, the one who is just is also the one who justifies. I think that's one of our, our next slide. If you want to pull it up there. This is an important point. It's the right arrow, usually. The one who is just is also the one who justifies. He is just. Why? Why is, why is Jesus just? What did he do to make himself just? What is it about him that makes him just? When he came to this earth, he never sinned. See, he saw the law and obeyed it to the T. He was perfect, wasn't he? See, the one who is just has the ability and the power to justify others. And it's only his blood that can do that. And the one who pays the debt is the only one who has the ability to declare you set free. See, the one who paid the price is the one who gets to step out into the street and say, no, no, no. They're with me. They're with me. You know, you don't get credit for that. You don't get credit for that. An example is a swimmer that, that was saved from drowning. Does not boast because he trusted in the lifeguard. Yeah? Like, if you're drowning... You don't have the right to boast because you put your trust in the person who saved you. When a believing sinner is justified by faith, he cannot boast of his faith. 
He could only boast in his Savior. Verse 27, where is boasting then? It is excluded. By what law? Of what works? Nay, by the law of faith. Therefore, we conclude that a man is justified by faith without the deeds of the law. Is he, is he the God of the Jews only? Is he not also uh, of the Gentiles? Yet of the Gentiles also, seeing it is one God, which shall justify the circumcision by faith and uncircumcision through faith. Do we then make void the law through faith? God forbid. Yea, we establish the law. And this is what that says. You don't get the right to boast in what God did for you and take credit for that. You don't get to say, well, I did a lot of good stuff. And so God had to look on me favorably. You don't get to do that. That's what Ephesians uh, chapter 2, verses 8 and, 8 and 9 are all about. We need to put this to rest. But see, the reason this is so important throughout the whole New Testament is the same reason that message is important today. Because most of the people that you will come in contact who do not put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ are putting their faith in a system that says, if I do a lot of good things, the God that exists out there, whoever he is, will have to accept me. Did you forget that that was what you were dealing with? This is not some sort of argument of the past. This is not some sort of argument that, that, that is just relevant to the Jewish people here. This is something, this is a doctrine that applies incredibly to where we're at today in society. What do you tell a Mormon? DJ, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to talk about you for a second. You grew up Mormon, right? His whole life. DJ got saved this last week. What do you tell a Mormon who doesn't think they're allowed to drink coffee? Because God will look upon them with, with disdain. Do you see what the world has done? They tainted the very name and they cheapened the name of Jesus Christ. And our message must be that he justifies freely through faith in the blood. Did you catch that? This is the message. He justifies freely through faith in the blood of Jesus Christ. That's the message that we preach. That's the message that I take to Lee Summit West High School. That's the message that I declare to all the people that I know in my life. That is what I've given my life for. Is that message. And believer, you should too. And person who hasn't known Jesus, you should too. You should, desi- you should decide today to take the free gift. He's put it in front of you. It's on the table. You don't have to do anything to take it. You don't have to earn it in any particular way. You just have to reach out and take it. It's free. You understand? And so this morning, we're going to go ahead and sing. And we're going to end an invitation. Here's the invitation. Some of us need to pray that we communicate this message more clearly to the people in our lives that we love. That's that's what some of us need to be praying. Some of us need to be praying that we get better at communicating this simple message. He justifies freely through faith in the blood of Jesus Christ. He justifies freely through faith in the blood of Jesus Christ. Some of us need to get better at that. But here's the even more dire situation, is that some of us have not accepted that free gift yet. And if you haven't, you need to come forward with somebody that you're with here today. Grab somebody and come up here and pray 
and take care of this issue once and for all. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, I am so sorry that we are born into Adam's race and that from the very beginning we have really only just disappointed you. I'm sorry for that, God. But thank you so much for what you did for me in giving your son Jesus Christ. When I couldn't add up, he stepped in. When my life wasn't right, when I, when as a young man my life wasn't right, he was right there to step in into the gap and not just obstruct your view of my sin, but to wash it white as snow. And so God, I pray this morning that if there's anyone in here that doesn't know that saving power and they're coming to a place where they believe it, they're coming to a place where they see that there's something unique about Christianity, that there's something unique about the story of Jesus, that there isn't anything like this to be found in the rest of the world, that God, this morning, that they, they would grab the person that they came with or, or come and talk to me or come and, and grab a leader, someone that they recognize as a leader and pull them aside and say, hey, will you pray with me in order to get this right? Lord, will they have the boldness to do that this morning? Please give them that strength. I ask this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.